Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free, a token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next installment of the podcast series. Today, I have on the show Imogen Woolsey. Imogen is a registered dietitian with Simprove Limited and combines her interest in gut microbiome her love for meeting new people, and her enthusiasm for educating others on gut health and the role of probiotics. Imogen was an elite distance runner, and we explore her story and journey and how she developed a chronic eating disorder that was linked to her gut health. This had tremendous negative effects on her life, as well as her emotional and mental well-being. She opens up and shares with us some really powerful stuff on the subject, and any athlete out there suffering in this way should really try and listen to this. We take many different and varied routes on the show, and she shares how she is working on her balance in her life, as well as her journey through her studies and her sport. She is involved in research at the forefront of gut health, which is evolving all the time. A highlight we talk about today is the recent and ongoing research into the role of the gut microbiome and Parkinson's disease. Some really groundbreaking and inspiring work being done here. As always, if you feel the show warrants it, please do share with those that may benefit from the topics we discussed today, as my hope would be to get the message out as far and wide as possible to help people going through similar things in their lives. Please do enjoy. Imogen Woolsey, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Thanks for joining me today. Um, and listen, I think a good place to kick off would be for you to give maybe a brief intro to yourself and your current role you are in. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yes, so I'm a dietitian for Simprove. So I um, I work on our healthcare professional team and I help out with some of the consumer content as well. But my background is in elite sports. I used to be an elite distance runner myself. And that's kind of what got me interested in the whole field of the gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. And I studied my undergrad degree at the University of Surrey. Then I went on to do a sports nutrition master's at St. Mary's University in Twickenham. Um, and then, yeah, a few years down the line, I started at Simprove. 
Very cool. And we just had quite a cool offline chat that we actually figured out we crossed paths with each other for about a year or so when I was at Surrey and you were there doing your high performance stuff. So yeah, really cool connection. And you know, a good squash player friend. So Jane Allman, if she's listening, I'm sure. I do. Yeah. Shout out to Jane. There we go. We'll send send this to her after after we record. It'll be really cool what she thinks. Um, But listen, I'm going to, I'm going to dive straight in. There's, um, I I definitely want to unpack your story at some point, but I almost want to take you down a little journey maybe before that, because your story sounds super interesting and, and sounds like you got a lot to share with us. Um, but we hear a lot these days that the gut is the second brain. I don't know if that's a really cheesy thing to start with, but I, I'm hearing that a lot in you know some communication these days. Can you help unpack this with me? Why is this the case? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is. It's a phrase that's cropped up here, there, and everywhere now. And really, it comes down to the enteric nervous system that is a thin layer of more than 100 million nerve cells that line the GI tract and that mm-hmm. the GI tract being your gastrointestinal tract that goes from your esophagus from your from your mouth right down to the back end and the enteric nervous system well its main role is controlling digestion so things like coordinating your peristalsis coordinating your muscles to contract and relax uh swallowing initiating the release of digestive enzymes like anything to do with digestion and the neurotransmitters and the hormones and everything that the enteric nervous system creates Mm -hmm. are pretty much the same as what goes on in your central nervous system and there is and that's obviously your brain and there is a two-way system the gut brain axis is what we call it between your enteric nervous system in your gut and your central nervous system in your brain and they send it's a bi-directional communication pathway and there are signaling molecules going back and forth all the time so basically Mm -hmm. the concept of second brain meaning that what happens in your gut can influence and impact what happens in your brain and something like I won't I'm not going to dive down that rabbit hole just yet but the um the concept of mood swings and depression like if your gut has a level of irritation the mm-hmm. enteric nervous system may well send a signal up to your brain and this can cause a mood shift so it's um yeah a very complex two-way system that means that what it's kind of like, you know, your gut feeling. Yep. That that's where it originates from because we mm. get a whole sense all over us and that is initiated in our gut. Mm. And I don't know how like modern this thinking is because, you know, I think we've known for a while that having a balanced diet is is super important, right? But it seems like the emphasis of late has been placed more on the gut bio- microbiomes. When I say of late, you know, please correct me on this. Um, and and I think you've explained it like really well there. But how new is this? How new is this 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 idea that that connection is as strong as you've described? Um, I think that it's not that new. It's just that we've got more and more awareness building all the time. And we're having, I mean, there's so many research papers coming out every few months. And luckily for me, being working at Simproof, we're kind of at the forefront of watching what's happening with the research. But um, I think rather than it being a new concept, I think it's just gaining momentum for people being aware of it um right. yeah and the research just continues to evolve and prove the complexities just go on and on and actually mm-hmm. we're discovering that your gut microbiome is linked to so many more things than we once thought it might be um it's very easy to make the assumption or the connection between your gut microbiome being responsible for 
feeling a bit bloated, but it mm. goes just so far beyond that. Interesting. Yeah. And um, like I said to you before we started, I had a real great chat with Barry, the, the founder of Simprove, and he was talking about some of the studies. One of the interesting ones which I'm sure you're aware of is, is the one in Parkinson, Parkinson's mm. disease, which is which is crazy. And there's some stuff coming out with that. So what, what's what's um, what's stimulating you and giving you energy with some of these studies? Like when you see something and you getting excited by it, what, is it one, any ones in particular that, that really resonate with you? Um. I, well, the Parkinson's one did really excite me because I find it really, well, I find it really exciting that we're branching out into other fields away from gastroenterology. Um, mm. I think because of my history and because I almost feel like I have been like around the bush so many times when it comes to gastro related things, but to to make the connection and provide some solid evidence in other fields like the neurological stuff with Parkinson's disease, but also like dermatology and our studies that we have with acne and rosacea um women's health and utis i find like the things that the the new the new stuff really exciting um mm. probably just because i've read until my sure. brain goes crazy on the other stuff that's brilliant and i'm just going to take a couple of backward steps so i want to just talk a little bit about your time at surrey and then and then saint mary's was it all in the in the field of of, of dietitian or becoming a, a, a nutritionist? Is that is that your journey when you were studying this? Yes. So my dietetics and nutrition degree at Surrey was, um, yeah, was I mean, I suppose it's it kept me interested in the whole field. And as I was training and racing at university, I was still struggling with my gut symptoms, which meant that I was doing sort of sideline reading on mm. um, bacteria in the microbiome. And then when I did my master's in sports nutrition, that was predominantly because um, I wanted to carry on training and racing and the training group was based at the University of St. Mary's. But um, during that master's, I did my um, uh, thesis on the effects of the gut microbiome and probiotics in endurance athletes. So that was my, I was kind of refining my area of interest then. Perfect. And and that's definitely the, the 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 topic and the thread I want to pull on today as, as we start to unpack this. So with Simprove, I want to bring this into the kind of the timeline now. When did you start working at Simprove? Was this when you're down at University of Surrey? How did that whole connection start? No, no, no. no. <laughs> story, actually. Um, so I did my four years at Surrey and then I did my two years in Twickenham. Then I um then I seriously needed some time out and some headspace because okay. I was um yeah, in the thick of it with my eating disorder and a sense of, I guess, identity crisis because I kind of stepped back from my sport and I was just having, yeah, having one of those like, who am I, what am I doing kind of moments. So I actually um, took took some time out and it was when I was um, part-time nannying mm -hmm. that I went to a um, like an open event conference thing just to see if I wanted to just to see if the nutrition and dietetics world grabbed me at all still because I I kind of thought I was done with it after what I'd been through in the last sort of yeah two or three years prior to that and I was like I don't know if it's something I actually want to use it would be a shame not to use my degree sure. or my master's though so I went to a um, like I can't remember what it was called it wasn't guidelines live it was something else but anyway I saw Chris who's one of our great employees at Simprove and I got chatting to him he probably thought god get rid of this girl because I think I was at the stand for about 45 minutes wow. um, just talking about bacteria <laughs> and gut health and he was like god she should probably work here so then I got a few interviews um and that's how I ended up working at Simprove but that was um 
that was only two and a half well coming up for three years ago Okay, really, really cool. And it was a really cool, obviously, with um, a few difficulties that you kind of stumbled into this. And and that's that's what we're going to keep trying to get. And, and actually along the way, almost like using the lens of your story to keep highlighting this idea of, of the gut health, you know, some athletes that are listening to this that 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 might have eating disorders or, or, or certain things in their life that aren't quite right, how we can get this quite strong. So you say you were an elite distance runner. Let's go back to your school days. Where, where did you go to school, firstly? So I went to school um, in Salisbury. So mm-hmm. my family home is Wiltshire and I yep. went to a grammar school in Salisbury. Okay. And then from there, is that where you got into your elite distance running and then went into university? So could you kind of track uh, like kind of to what level you did it at and, and how big a part of your life elite distance running was? Sure. So I started running. I mean, I started running just casually with my dad at the weekends and then I got scouted um, by an England athletics coach when I was 16 at a school local school cross-country race that I was doing I think it was probably an inter-counties race or something mm-hmm. um and he got me into training at the University of Bath with um a mixed group of well actually predominantly male athletes there um so when I was I think it was probably yeah maybe he scouted me when I was 15 15 16 years old I started to train at the University of Bath in the evenings and I would go to school in Salisbury so my life was kind of like back and mm-hmm. forth and back wow. and forth um and yeah so I it was the first time that I'd had a proper training program and it supposedly worked wonders because okay. I, my improvement um was very notable uh noticeable and um I yeah I just continued to progress from there and my choice of university was influenced by the fact that Aldershot Farnham and District Athletics Club was really strong and okay. uh Combined with the fact that University of Surrey did the dietetics course I wanted to do, the two married together quite well. So it made sense for me to go there. And when I went to university, I then, um, yeah, I joined Aldershot. I changed coaches, changed intensity of my uh, training actually quite a lot, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um, yeah, so I was part of Aldershot for four Mm -hmm. years whilst I was there. Mm -hmm. And then sorry i can't even i'm going off on a tangent no here. no this is this is this is exactly like the time because yeah. i, I want to unpack a few things there and so firstly very interesting that even at 15 16 you were training with you know university level athletes which could have been quite an interesting dynamic and how that might have changed from doing something fun with your dad at weekends to something that became quite serious quite quickly because I'm, I'm quite interested always in that transition when athletes get into it for certain reasons and then it becomes a really serious task and that's where you know even even burnout, mental health, uh, you know, all of these difficult things, the identity crisis, as you said, start to become quite a big thing. So when I even say that, does anything pop in, pop in your mind about trans- transitioning from, I'm doing this for the love, the intrinsic motivation to going, this is all extrinsic now and I'm losing the love of it. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I would say that, well, actually, to be really like dramatic about it, if I could go back in time and just carry on training with my dad, like maybe three times a week, I think I probably would have ended up in a very different position to the one I did. Not that I'm not grateful for the journey I've had because actually it's brought me so much and it's taught me so so much. Mm. But no, there was, it was a big difference going into a training group and it wasn't, it was actually, um, it was based at the University of Bath, but it wasn't all university students. It was other similar age teenagers okay. around the area, but they'd been drafted into this relatively elite group. Um, and as I mentioned, it was mainly guys, like mainly males that were there. And because 
I mean, I love love my coach um, at the time, but he we were kind of experiencing everything together because he hadn't had a female athlete at that dis like training for okay. around five ten k's before who was at the level I was at, and he threw me in with the boys, and we just we just there was just a level of naivety because actually like I've I've worked through things a lot in the last few years with therapy and stuff but it probably goes back to like where the eating disorder started which was an accident mm. because I was unaware of the energy expenditure and my parents were unaware and so I wasn't purposefully not um fueling adequately but I yeah. just was just not taking in enough so I lost a lot of weight and actually that came with um digestive discomfort and um injuries and all of this stuff and you know energy deficit in sport and reds and things like that um mm -hmm. and yeah i mean you can probably guess the trajectory after that um, of course yeah, yeah yeah but yeah no it was a big difference and i didn't feel i actually didn't feel like the the pressure massively until um well, it wasn't straight away. I mean, I was enjoying myself training there for a long time until it, yeah, it did, again, it did hit me probably sort of when I was 18 and I okay. had my first man Yeah, <laughs> okay. And um, so just with the eating disorder, if, if we can go down that um, little route for, for, for a bit, um, can you can you help explain that? Because, okay, yes, you're training. And was this what, at about 17, 18, did you say? Is this, and so then, yeah, how did this unfold? How did you get to the point where you, you maybe look back at, oh crap there, there, there's something up here there's something not quite right so so what happened in that journey well actually I would say I I had disordered eating until I actually when I was about 22 23 stepped away from running and then I would say it turned into an eating disorder because then it was a dominant thing in my life but I was um managing and maintaining a level of disordered eating between the ages of 17 to 22 before it kind of snowballed in one way but um mm. no it was uh yeah so it was the volume of training I was doing I wasn't I was expending more energy than I was taking in and as a result lost a lot of weight and mm. lost my period um for like three or four years wow. and I got diagnosed with osteoporosis when I was 19 wow. and I started yeah and I had um two years of bone density injections um and my hormones went crazy <laughs> and mentally things went crazy as well so of course of course um, yeah and um it's again thank you for sharing and feel free to share as little or as much as you want but um again no, I, I i'm think, an open book so you just okay, tell me to thank stop. you no no this because i think this is really valuable content that we're capturing here um and then how were you trying to address this? You know, we, I assume you were speaking with your parents and then you were seeking help and guidance. And it's something really interesting you just said there, disordered eating and then eating disorder. It's kind of like that play on words kind of sparked my interest there because you're talking about disordered eating during your training period. And then when you step back, it was an eating disorder. So I think that might be worth investigating a little bit. Yeah, of course. Well, this is something I feel strongly about because I think there is a spectrum and I would honestly say the majority of girls around the ages of like 18 to 25 have some level of disordered eating because we're surrounded by diet culture, even not athletes, like even outside of the sporting world, diet culture and social media and everything is just toxic for us. So I think that it's actually unusual to have someone that's not got a level of disordered eating. But 
tipping the balance over into an eating disorder i mean that that that's a different conversation and for me because my running was so much of a priority in my life um my i would i would say that it yeah the eating disorder or the disordered eating habits i had were they they didn't actually take over all the time it wasn't 24/7 mm-hmm. i was thinking about food and not what what to eat and all of this stuff because i was actually just concentrating on my fitness and my racing and stuff and so it was all i mean it you could say yeah okay she had an eating disorder but to me it wasn't it didn't feel dominant and it didn't feel like it controlled everything that i did mm-hmm. um and i noticed the difference when i took running away and that's when i started to become obsessive and compulsive and then it did turn into an eating disorder but um i would say that the disordered eating stuff that was very very difficult for anybody anybody to call me out on because i was a dietitian i knew what i was talking about yeah. and so many dietitians out there are i mean they're riddled with eating disorders i'm just going to put it out there um and yeah so i was really hard to call out my parents obviously knew that something was up i was incredibly sure. stressed i was in a chronic fight or flight mode i was my personality was shit to be honest mm. sorry excuse my language mm, i was just stressed all the time and nervous um and what i was doing in terms of like dis- my disordered eating I was restricting left, right, and center because I was trying to get control over these digestive symptoms, which actually originated because I wasn't eating enough and I'd lost the weight. And when, you ha- when you're in an energy deficit, your digestive system shuts down. It slows down. Mm. You don't get the, the right blood flow. You, your body goes into a state of starvation. And actually, naively, I was thinking something I was eating was causing these symptoms. So the more I cut out the less chance there is that I'm going to get some digestive discomfort. Hmm. And this just snowballed until I was eating like a really, really like just, Oh God, poor, like I never would, never would suggest <laughs> going down that diet that I ate for however long. What, what but, examples can you give some examples of this? Cause, cause this is all very new territory to me and maybe to a lot of my listeners as well. Okay. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I suppose I'll just jump right in there and say, because I was a dietitian and I knew, I thought I knew my stuff. I cut out FODMAPs. I did the FODMAP diet for about nine years, um, which is not what it's designed for. It and, can, and can you just explain that, please? Yeah. So um, FODMAPs are fermentable oligodisaccharides, mono, monosaccharides and polyols. Okay. They're basically, it's a fancy, very, very long, fancy words, but they are chains of carbohydrates and they we digest them and we ferment them at different rates in our colon. And they are the foods that are identified to potentially cause symptoms of bloating and basically increase digestive discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're in a lot of things. So, yeah. I mean, it, for me, I started off with, I'm going to say the obvious like dairy, gluten, um, thinking I was, yeah, like intolerant to this and that. Um, and then the more that I studied my my subject, dietetics, the more detailed I got and the more I thought, actually, it could be this, it could be this. So then my diet was just getting like more and more limited, sure. um, mm. which was, of course, reducing the diversity of my microbiome, which wasn't going to be helping anything. So, mm. so it sounds like it was... Um knowledge was power but not not the right power in a way it was kind of like you were you were becoming more knowledgeable going down deeper and deeper roots with this extracting even more things but all that was doing was exacerbating the problems is that kind of an accurate way of describing it yes completely i mean um ignorance is bliss would definitely apply to this situation Mm -hmm. and actually the 
yes, I was thinking that physically I was like, obviously I thought I was helping myself and actually physically I was doing myself more damage because I was reducing the diversity of my microbiome. But on a psychological level as well, I was so anxious about eating anything that it wouldn't have mattered what I'd eaten actually, because the level of anxiety in my head over the food in front of me was going to be causing more symptoms than the food itself anyway, because of that gut brain axis that we spoke about and mm. actually being so fixated and nervous about whatever I put into my mouth was would have been the more to blame than anything else. Um, wow. Mm. That uh, reminds me a little bit of, uh, have you heard of the two arrows? It's a, it's a Buddhist um, way of thinking. It's, it's uh, you become, yeah, where you get like, you can't avoid the first arrow getting hit by the first arrow. That's unexpected, but you have a choice about the second arrow. I don't know if it is linked hundred percent here because the choice, you know, pain, um, you know, suffer um, pain is, no, let me get this right. Um, pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. It's kind yeah. of a little bit along those lines that, that, you know, you can't avoid the first, but the way you think about the second, I don't know, is there a link there or not? Or am I just kind of plucky at straws? <laughs> um, no, I'm sure that there's a link in there somewhere. I, my brain's like too scrambled right now to find yeah. it. I think I get what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, cause, cause you're like, you're, you're so you're looking at that food and that's causing its own problems within itself, isn't it? That That's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to get at very slightly. Mm. And I'm, I'm sure we'll explore this as as we talk, and and I think you've already expressed this, the link between gut health and overall mental health. What do you think about that? Um, well, actually, that's what I should have answered your original question. Of what gets me excited in the field is the the mental health links with gut health because I feel yeah particularly passionately towards all of that area, and um, there are strains of bacteria that are shown to reduce levels of anxiety and things like that. So that's an area I do find interesting, but mm. no, my, um, my thoughts on it all is just, yeah, that it couldn't be like, yeah, more true that there are so many links and mm. looking mm. after your mental health with looking by looking after your gut health is definitely a place to start. I mean, um, depression and anxiety like I'm sure I don't know the stats, but like the links with IBS are through the roof. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and Barry was talking quite a lot about that earlier. Uh, yeah, with the IBS, Crohn's disease, and he went on on all these different routes with it. Um, and it's quite interesting what you said about along the lines. Most dietitians out there are not are not looking after themselves in a way. <laughs> I just completely dissed my whole profession. <laughs> no, but it's but I think like but like you said like the the almost the more knowledge you get and and. Uh, I think that's a real fascinating thing to explore, don't you think? What What, what do you yeah. reckon? No, I do. And um, I would say that it's not that they're not looking after themselves. I think that they have a an abnormal fixation and like probably lots of them a bit of an obsession with food and diet and balance. And it's like, you know, that classic thing, everything in moderation, including moderation. And I think that... Um, I mean, dietitians have a hard job though because it's it's the it's the job. Like you have to talk about it twenty four seven. Um, but yeah, I would say that from my, my peers in the dietetics world that I know, I there's like I can count on a, my hand the ones that I really like that I really click with and I really trust and I really get on with because mm -hmm. I just know that they're on the right side of mm. that line. Mm. Uh, interesting question popped to my mind you know yes you're talking about your craft and you're honing it the whole time you're helping people out do you need someone to help you out do you know what I mean like do you need like a like one person removed to look at what you're doing 
and <clears throat> so excuse me, and and kind of find it out that way? Or do you think actually now, obviously you're you're more mature, you understand this a bit better, that you can do this yourself? What do you think that balance is like? Um, I am a huge advocate of therapy and I've had a lot of therapy myself. So I'd say it was like critical for me to have somebody on the outside that was removed from my inner network of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw a psychologist for a year and a half, probably best part of two years actually. And then I had various other people that I saw for maybe like three or four months at a time. Um, which mean, I think probably in total, I've had like... <laughs> I'm going to say like four or five therapists, which sure. you know, hold my hands up to it. But mm. I love I love talking things through. And now I'm in a very, I'm in the most self-aware place I've ever been. And I have a very good, yeah, it's, it's like a, a handle on my own stuff. But yeah. I, I've, I've dedicated like a good amount of time, like years to, to doing that. And I, mm. I now, yeah, I'm, I'm confident in where I stand with myself and, where the boundaries are for me um mm. and it's and it's hard being in this profession i was actually the meeting i had before i um jumped on this call with you i was talking about the the position i'm in now having like worked on a lot of things myself but i'm still in the field of gut health and nutrition and there are still obviously therefore some ties with the past struggles i used to have and it's still something i'm trying to navigate my way around and I'm not sure in the sort of the next year or so whether I might actually decide to go part time and do something Mm. else with a few days of my week because I'm a huge believer in balance and not um, not having a one track like focus and not being too tunnel vision. And I've needed the time in this profession to make peace with myself and my past. But actually, I'm starting to feel like I could spread my wings in other areas now, too. So, um, Mm. yeah, it's all about, I guess timing and not not rushing it but you know that um yeah I think when you know in yourself that something is needing to change you know when to make the change yeah Uh, well thank you for sharing and I think yes I'm really glad that ranging from sports psychology to therapy to like real like deep issues it's not a taboo anymore Uh, we can talk about it and that's a good thing it's a healthy thing it's like you know anyone out there thinking they can't do this or shouldn't or showing weakness it's not it's it's i think it's showing strength it's showing strength you can admit to these things right let's seek some help let's go to that next phase um i also like what you said about your heightened self-awareness i want to just explore that for a sec because it's something again personally i'm always trying to strive towards and the clients i work with trying to get their self-awareness really high and and um again reminds you of another bit of a zen cohen quote here when when the student is ready the teacher will appear but when the student is truly ready the teacher will disappear so that that becomes where that you'll get the lessons, you'll get the teaching, but ultimately you want to be able to do it yourself. So how do you heighten your self-awareness? I've got some of my methods and tools, but but what's your version of that? Um, before I say that, there's, you've just reminded me of a quote as well that um, is kind of similar to that about how therapy is like having somebody to help you sweep the leaves in front of your path. And then when you're ready, you can sweep them yourself. So there we go. Love yeah, it. Like, we, we, we're going to have a quote off. Like let, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so my levels of self-awareness and I think um, I'm not sure whether it's heightening my levels of self-awareness because I think that's something that is naturally like instilled in you, the more therapy and the more shining a light and on yourself and processing and journaling and things like that I mean there are some when I was seeing my psychologist we kind of we we discussed a toolkit um and there are certain things that I do 
every day that I need to do every day in order to set my headspace into like, yeah, in, in the right way. And it's funny, I spoke to somebody um, about these kind of things the other day who said, oh, that's because I was talking about um, journaling every day and in the morning having like a, I do, for example, I'll do like 10 minutes of conscious breath work. I'll do some meditation. I'll do some movement. I'll do some journaling. And these are just like, pillars in every day that I do and mm -hmm. the friend I was speaking to said oh gosh that's you're so disciplined you're so dedicated to do that and I thought gosh that's such a funny like contradicting thing to say to someone who is actually like I mean disciplined and dedicated when I'm thinking about my old eating disorder mm. athlete self I was like to say that to me now is odd actually but I see what she means it's just that I I do these things every day and but I it's not like I feel like I have to I just mm. I want to and I naturally feel better for doing them and I think it's like yeah I mean taking a moment to be grateful and it all sounds so cliche but it's so effective powerful it's powerful. yeah listen I, 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 I'm a big advocate of looking at my two journals day again journaling meditation I'm in a bit of a cold shower therapy kind of routine mm. now which I'm loving at the moment that that for me is more of a disciplined training if I'm honest it's yeah. like get out of that warm bed and straight in and turn that tap on um I'm interested to explore also when you said again I'm not sure if you how much you can speak on this but when you said you do maybe want to get one or two days of something different in your week what is um what's exciting you about that what, what what's the thing that you're going oh actually that could be a nice thing that you're not going too much down there just the dietitian rabbit hole so i've actually just as in last weekend um completed a diploma in holistic massage so um when i was in lockdown having all this therapy um i went on a little bit of a spiritual journey as you can imagine and um, something that really stood out to me was Ayurveda and the concept of energy doshas. And um, I did a holistic healing qualification as well, like a holistic health coaching course during lockdown, which like, I mean, it threw me towards the Eastern modalities of like health and wellness, as opposed to I'd just been in this Western mm. system for so long, which I felt was massively flawed in so many ways. So um, yeah, I went down sort of the more holistic Eastern pathway. And I mean, I got a real um, sense, I don't know, I just had a like a real wake up call to it because actually you can, you can go so too far that way as well. Sure. And you don't have a sense of like reality and grounding. And sometimes like you just, you do just need to get on with your day and you can't like be at peace and all Yeah, we, we can't be monks on a mountaintop the whole no, time. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I had, um, I, I felt like I, I knew after doing that course that I wanted to blend Eastern and Western approaches to health and well-being and balance together to, yeah, the concept of blending, I think for me is like really important and not being too extreme one way or the other. Anyway, when I was thinking about, you know, what I might do in the future, if it wasn't just going to be five days a week being a dietitian, I thought I want like a doing job because I can, I, I mean, I'm sitting, this is a great way to sit in front of a screen, by the way, I love speaking to you, but actually like spending eight hours in front of a laptop every day, it's not like, yeah. it's not ideal. It's not what no. humans are designed for. So I was thinking, you know, yeah, doing, doing something would be good. And because of my history with sports and physio, and I'm quite intuitive when it comes to muscle um like tension release and stuff like that because of all the physio I've had myself mm. um so massage comes quite naturally but then I stumbled across this holistic um massage it's called Ayurvedic yoga massage and it's to do with is I mean it's deep tissue massage on a physical level but it's also 
to do with opening up your energy channels in a more emotional, spiritual way because um, of the positions that you manipulate somebody's body into. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so I've just done a diploma in that. So I'd love to use that in the future. Well, congratulations. That sounds a really great thing. And, and so that sounds like not the next business model, but something that you're going to explore. When you say you, you're unlocking people emotionally, is, is it just purely because of the physical position? Is there is there talking? Of course, you're going to talk in this, but is that part of it or is it just physical? So you you would talk to them, obviously, before you begin the massage, but then you do 90 minutes where it's just a massage and assisted stretching, but it's all in coordination with breath work. So you're wow. instructing their breath work, which is the most powerful thing. And then what happens often is like after the 90 minutes, people will have a bit of a cry or a bit of a, you'll have a bit of a talking therapy session with them because mm. I mean, regardless of what the massage is doing, I think that 90 minutes listening to some nice music, maybe having a massage, being with your own thoughts, it's going to make anyone fairly like, you know, subdued and emotional. But I think the the stretches that are included and incorporated in the massage, they are designed to open up areas that we in our bodies, we hold a lot of emotional stress, like in our hips or in our chest. And um, through releasing the body in different ways, you can find that you actually feel a shift in your emotional state. That sounds fascinating. Tell me what it is again, because I think I'm going to go research this straight afterwards. <laughs> Ayurvedic yoga massage. You can be one of my clients. There, hey, we can. I literally, I like joking aside, my hip flexibility is nil point. I'm like, I'm literally in my life. And when you said, I was like, damn, I need to kind of like get, be able to kind of do some sort of stretches. And again, being, uh, you know, I was, was a pro squash player for 10 years that, yeah, like my, my, my body's a bit battered and bruised at the moment. Um, That, that sounds really fascinating. And breath work this is a whole other subject that i was lucky enough to have um a couple of uh guests on that are that are breathing experts so really keen to explore that so what do you what do you understand about breath work what do you do with the breath work and i think it's obvious but the nose breathing down into the diaphragm that's a basic entry point but can you can you unpack a bit with us please um i can although i'm not an expert in it um with the the holistic massage it's coordinated so that you're always stretching and pushing the stretch point on an exhale which is obviously um it, it helps with the release of the tension um but when it comes to like diaphragmatic breathing deep belly breathing that is such a grounding tool and actually to bring it back to the running and the athletics and gut health that's something that helped me kind of the most i think i realized um at some point along the way that I hadn't been breathing properly for like years. I was like in this shallow breath, like mm. in this like um, sympathetic state. And my my breathing was just not deep at all. And breathing affects digestion so much. And so um, for somebody that's like by default quite, um, I don't want to say hyperactive, but I have a lot of like energy in me. Sometimes I can forget to actually breathe deeply. So I ground myself and I make myself sit down for 10 minutes every now and then to breathe. And um, yeah, the digestive system responds so well to it. Um, so yeah. that's one of the, the the tips I think I would give to athletes out there who are struggling with their digestion. And there are so many reasons as to why they, they would be because of the nature of elite sport. But um, breath work is an underrated tool. It is. It is. I think um, I read somewhere that 
you know, we know so much about uh, recovery and training and, and muscles and, and diet. They say breath work and, and breathing at the elite level of, of athletics is, is like, is like the, the, the wild west. It's an untapped resource at the moment. And they just feel they're discovering stuff more and more. Um, mm. James, James Nestor's book called breathe is really good. Um, he was on a podcast called the oxygen, oxygen advantage, which is really good. They go very sciencey, but give practical tools that that's, that's really, really good stuff. And you say you do some breath work in the morning. What, what, what's your version of that? Um, nothing fancy sitting down with my hand on my stomach, hand on my chest and just deep breathing for 10 minutes. Nice. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I'm not sure if you try, I, I did a bit of the Wim Hof breathing stuff and, oh, and, yeah. and yeah, but it's like, it literally makes you high almost. It's like the amount of oxygen going in and it actually gave me some really bad headaches. Like after doing it for too long, I just thought, yeah, it didn't quite resonate with me, but, but my version of breath work is when I get to bed, I like my kind of just the four, four, seven, eight is really simple in for four, hold for seven out for eight. Um, mm. just sends me off to sleep really well. And they've, they've shown that that four, seven, eight is quite a good sleep aid in a way. Um, yeah, yeah so many rabbit holes we're going down here. I love this um looking back a little bit at i like always like to ask this question and you might not want to change anything but knowing what you know now how would you have spoken to your 16 17 18 year old self do you think um well how i would have spoken is full of just love and compassion i think um so i had like one of the therapy styles i had a lot of was compassion focused therapy because i think that athletes are, tend to lack a lot of that language with themselves the the conversations our self-talk is always so punishing mm. um so I would if I was speaking to my younger self I would <laughs> give her a hug yeah. um but what I would say is I mean there's so many things I could say but I would just say to hang on in there and trust that this journey is gonna work out for you because I one of the things I do a lot is like is thank my struggles and thank the journey I've had because it's very easy to sit there and think oh my gosh because I, I still experience digestive discomfort a lot of the time and I'm, I'm just trying to get back into my running now actually and it's um it's so interesting coming back to the sport as a completely different person like feel like my identity is completely shifted but I'm I'm sort of reconnected with the love of it now which is so nice That's but so um good. But no, I would just say to hang on in there and that it is, it's happening for a reason. It sounds crazy to say that, but mm. um, so many things, so many people I've connected with and best friends I've made. And the, I mean, the job I'm in now, talking to you now, none of this would be possible if it wasn't for those darker days. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's why I always do pause when I ask that question because yeah, you know, again, another good quote is, you know, all the mistakes I made in my life. And when I was a young person, I just wish I'd made them sooner. You know, like I love that kind of way of, yeah. of looking going, yeah, they, they all, they add layers to us. Like, aren't like sometimes they add armor, sometimes they add vulnerability, but all those things are good for us. Like if we see them in the right lens, of course, if you're going too much down a, a rabbit hole where it's just completely being bashed, that, that might not be it. Um, and yeah, that's actually something I might say to myself try and come at it from a different lens mm, yeah uh, there's um i read a lot of stoic stoic stuff which i think is great stoic philosophy um one of the lessons the other morning was all about this concept of logos l-o-g-o-s um and the best analogy it's kind of like it's a love of your fate and it's about like suffering and loss is inevitable and it's actually necessary and the way they describe it, it's like there's a cart going along a road and you're a dog on a lead, right? So you're the dog on the lead. And, and the lead is relatively long, but that cart is always going to go, right? It's always going to be moving. 
do you want to be dragged along by that cart like like and be like pulled with the lead or do you go with that cart but you've got the lead to explore you've got exploration around that journey you're going on i think it's a real beautiful way to I know just like really zooming out with life and you know the purpose and the meaning of things it's going mm-hmm. yeah it's it's all it's all destiny in a way in a bizarre way but actually you've got a bit of a rope to work with <laughs> yeah you, no I love that mm. that's really that's a really cool analogy I like that a lot yeah. I have to give that, that a look logos 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 yeah and, and the stoics were very uh you know ancient thinkers but like even more so important in the times we live in I think with yeah, distractions and validation and, you know, the, the, the dopamine hits we're getting every day from the lottery machine of social media and those phones. Mm. Um, you, you talked about identity and self-worth at, at, at some point. Um, and on that, just, just before I maybe ask a question, there, there's a really powerful book called What Made Maddie Run, um, written about seven or eight years ago. Um, so Maddie was a US um, athlete, like, like uh, American level young athletes, and she got her dream scholarship to the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and yeah, you know, just there was something wrong, you know, and in long story short, it's quite uh, well known the story now. But yeah, she she took her own life in the second semester of term. But it was she was leading a perfect life. You know, her Instagram life was was perfect and everything was great. But there was something obviously underneath the surface, a really, really powerful book. I'd highly recommend it because, again, maybe the running link. Um, and and it does talk about identity and self-worth in that book quite a lot. Um, so, you know, when I when I say identity and self-worth to you, what what did you struggle with? Or you said that was a bit of a difficulty at some point and you might have had to go uh, internal to discover a few things. Mm, I think with identity, I mean, when you're doing a sport at an elite level from your teenage years and it's and you're doing your training like six days a week or and you're racing and you're doing this I mean that like that inevitably becomes your identity and it's really hard to remember that you've got other sides of you as well so I think for like a few years I was just a runner and that was just who I was and I don't know whether I mean, I think most people knew me as a runner. Maybe my family were able to still see the other sides to me, but actually in my head, I was also just a runner. And then you start to struggle because when the injuries come or the illness happens or something, you think like, what else am I? Like, what else do I do? Mm. And um, luckily for me, my family are like amazingly diverse. And I mean, we're such characters that I didn't actually have a problem tapping out of the running world when I was injured or when I, you know, I would, I I had a lot else to be distracted by. Um, and that was, that was great. So the conversations around the dinner table were never just sport and athletics. Mm. And I know some families, like I, um, had friends who I was training with at the time, like their, their mum and their dad would come to the coaching session, their siblings would be running as well. And it was like, it was their whole life. But my, my family were, I was lucky that they weren't like that. Um, but I think that, I started to realize, and it was actually the injuries gave me an opportunity to reflect and think, this isn't just what I'm about. And it gave me a chance to express express other sides for me, albeit in a relatively erratic, all or nothing fashion for a while. And there have been a few crazy <laughs> nights out that <laughs> I, I won't go into. But um, no, I, I think I just, um, I got back in touch with loads of other sides of myself as I was coming out of the, like, the running bubble. And that's what I've thoroughly enjoyed, like, and who I've enjoyed being and, you know, bringing, expressing those sides Mm. of me in the recent years. And now actually going full circle and starting to miss the runner that is in me and wanting to get back into 
the sport in a different way. Mm, that's really well said. And and when uh, there's two little topics I want to just explore here, going looking at the backwards one first, which is when you were competing at an elite level, um, stress, emotions, anxiety, uh, again, you're obviously competing in quite high level race, high stakes situations. How was that for you? And then the second part, which I want to explore in a second, but we'll come to that would be the running, your running version now as, as, you know, seeing it from the other side, like you're seeing it for a different motivation. Mm -hmm. So um, which one would you like to start with? Let's start with the first one you said about um, emotions and stress and anxiety. I mean, I don't know what the question was, but yes, is the answer. It was like crazy. And um, like in relation to gut health and, um, you know, my symptoms and things, I think honestly, like diet has a a big part to play, but nothing for me was going to come close to the level of emotional and psychological stress and, you know, lack of sleep and just like performance expectations that actually honestly were with like personal I was putting them on myself um Mm. it wasn't like I had definitely didn't have pushy parents and my coaches were I mean okay one of them maybe was a bit pushy but that's the nature of a coach but anyway no I think that the being so chronically stressed just yeah left me I mean exhausted not to mention like with a like a, a ton of physical symptoms that I then started to get a lot of health anxiety about and you know, convinced there was something wrong with me and all these tests I needed to have. And it was just, I mean, yeah, now that I've I've been able to look at things in a more holistic way, the, the power of the mind and the emotions and the physical toll and the physical effects, the knock-on was just yep. massive. So, and, and just on that, I think you said it there, the, the inner narrative, the inner story, the inner voice. It's like, you know what, like your close friends and family, they just, they, they want the best for you. Like forget mm. your titles and that piece of kind of gold that represents like your best self. It's, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a piece of metal at the end of the day. It's like, but if you've not looked after yourself and you've, yeah, again, not slept and you've left the wake of destruction around you, you know, with friends and family, surely that's not a healthy balance to have. And, and I'm always fascinated about that the balance between the win at all costs of elite sports, but where is that? Where's the other side? Where is they going? Actually, but I'm okay not being the best of the best of the best. And I'm always trying to find that balance point. And, and, you know, maybe you as your younger self, again, all of your narrative and inner voice was so powerful. It was, it was encapsulating, wasn't it? It was. And um, I mean, you're right. There's so many things I have to say in response to that, but I think that, um, when it comes to that inner voice, which athletes have, that's when, that's why I guess so many athletes were, I mean, lots of them personality, like A-types anyway. So the traits lend themselves to an eating disorder, but that voice, that inner critic is is so powerful. And um, it's, it's the same with someone who's struggling with an eating disorder. It's just relentless 24 seven. And you're compelled to, to think and feel and react in a certain way, just subconsciously almost. Mm. Did you have um, a sports psychologist when you were competing? I did, yeah. And useful, not so useful? Because sometimes, like, again, it can be very well intended, but if if the kind of personality and style don't quite match, sometimes it doesn't quite work. What, what do you remember about those conversations? Um, I think I th- the, the girl I saw was great. I saw actually two different people. Um, and I think they were great. I think I probably needed to work with them for longer and... Um, have the chance to unpack a bit more. I think I had um, some 
relatively like basic sports psychology when probably I needed mm. a bit more detail. Yeah. And and it's you said something earlier that that was interesting. You had was it like self-love therapy or self-care therapy? Compassion. Compassion. Therapy. I like that. Like it almost, I don't know, does, does sports psychology great. You can read it from a, from a book and kind of X, Y, Z, but yeah, just sometimes compassion therapy. So what, compassion therapy. Can you talk on that for a little bit? Um, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's kind of blurred with all the other different kinds of therapy I had, but I know that it was kind of like killing of kindness and actually in order to like there was a lot of self-sabotaging behaviors that I had going on and um the way to break the cycle is never to set yourself up for anything but praise basically and even in the the moments where you think like you've done something bad or you've like been destructive or you've self-sabotaged again never criticize that or punish that you use that as an opportunity to speak to yourself kindly because you're never going to change unless you you have enough love in you and you change the phrase like so instead of like next time like I failed this time and I have to do this next time you have to be like I learned from this this time and I get to do it differently next time so it's like an opportunity to get to do something differently as opposed Mm -hmm. to like something you have to change yeah, I love that. I as a lesson I use a lot. Change have to get. I I have to take the garbage out. I get to take the garbage mm. out. I have to go and train today. I get to go and train. It's like, listen, you're living someone's paradise. You know, if you're if you have the luxury of taking garbage out, there's millions of people in the world that live in garbage. You know, so like let's let's get like a handle on things here. So you know, sometimes it's getting that. And would you say if you'd heard more of that? as your younger self that would have been a beneficial thing we would would you you know young athletes that are that are struggling with stress anxiety performance anxiety even getting into maybe the the disordered eating you know that 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 self-love what do you think of that as advice um i think it's powerful advice if you're ready to accept it and you can hear it and if if you know i mean there's no like you can't if you read a book and it's the most life-changing book ever but you read it when you're not at the right place in your life for it to affect you it's not going to have the same impact and I think mm. that it's very useful to shower teenage athletes in love and try and get them to be compassionate but probably what would have been the most beneficial thing would have been to just to to have dialed up other areas of my life which is hard to do when like you only have a certain amount of hours and time in the week and you when you're focusing on your training and you're being an athlete you have to dedicate a number of amount of time to that but I think it's just so important to shift the perspective and think bigger just think bigger picture and Mm -hmm. to to rather than trying to dial down the, the the punishing critical kind of stuff which because that takes a lot of time and actually it's kind of default it comes very naturally and you you, it's harder to almost to work on stopping that what's easier to do is to just dial up the positives around it so um and I think when it comes to a healing journey I use like quote unquote healing journey because it's it is cliche to say but we're all on a journey right and I think that when you focus so hard on what's not going right in your life and what you need to change you become very self-absorbed and it make and it just feeds the problem often when actually you need to take a step back and increase everything else that's going on around you all the other positives like you know make a note in your journal every day what's gone well that day and even if something hasn't gone well then you can probably like drown it out with the stuff that has gone well and still end the day feeling good so yeah mm, really really well said there uh, Imogen thanks for thanks for sharing that I think that's a lovely balance because yeah you know uh, 
I had a great chat with um, uh, an ex uh, cricketer, like professional cricketer, and he now mentors like the young cricketers, but he went through a, a whole bunch of problems, right? And no matter how many stories he tells and, and, and he knows he can see these youngsters going through exactly the same things that he went through. He's not there to enforce his way on them. He can try and open their mind to it, but they need to have that lived experience to be blunt, almost to get to the bottom of the barrel and then go, wow, now I can have that lesson on compassion or gratitude or letting go, whatever that is. And it's almost like, yeah, like, like that lived experience is the most powerful thing, isn't it? It's the most powerful yeah. thing that concentrates your mind to, to get something done. For sure. Mm. And then looking ahead at your current self with like your running, what, what, oh, yeah. what's your thoughts on that? Um, my thoughts on that, I mean, excited to, to get back into it. Like I, yeah, running has always been so important to me and something I love doing. And for the years that I wasn't doing it, I think I probably always knew deep down I was missing it. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it, it's useful to, to take a step back long enough to be able to miss something. And I think now it's just about like, the, I've had a different, I've had a shift of perspective and running will never be the top of my priority list and have the importance that it did in my life, like it, it, in my life before. Mm -hmm. um, which ironically, I feel like, you know, I don't know where my running is going to take me now, but if I continue to enjoy it and get fitter and want to enter some races or whatever, I actually know that the, like, the, the best way for me to be successful is when I don't really care about it that much. So it's probably going to go <laughs> quite well if I did decide I wanted to race. Nice. But um, yeah, no, it's just the, it's just the shift of perspective. And I will, um, uh, yeah, it's never going to be a case of, I remember there was this one race that went on, like which happened every year, the European trials in Liverpool. And um, the memories I've got of the car journeys back from Liverpool crying the whole way. Cause I like not done the race I wanted to like to run. And like, I just, it's never going to be like that because mm. there's so many other things that have gone on. And also I think that when you, you go through an eating disorder or like you live life, like stuff happens and stuff has happened to me in the last 10 years that like, yeah, it just, it changes the way that it changes an outlook, doesn't it? And it's it actually, a pleasure and I remember um listening to an interview by Bradley Wiggins the cyclist once where he said he was so blase and he was like I mean yeah cycling's my hobby it's just an addition it's a bonus and I thought what a cool guy like yep. that's that's mm -hmm. the attitude to have um and yeah I think that's the the way awesome well good luck with that that sounds uh, hopefully a cool little part of your new journey that you're discovering um so i'm going to bring it really slightly back to simprove because i'm quite interested i know yeah. we've gotten down these really beautiful rabbit holes so thank you for sharing and i think anyone listening would hopefully resonate with quite a lot of that um okay so you're you're working simprove you're a dietitian there um so what role does Simproof play when it comes to getting a good balance of bacteria in the guts? Because I'm a personal user. I've been using it for about a year. Love the product. Think, think it's really helped me. How does Simproof actually work then for that, for the microbiomes and all, all that process? Hmm. Um, so I don't want to repeat what Barry has said earlier, but- no, But um, I want to hear it from you though, because it oh, could be okay. slightly different. Yeah, so in please, please do. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so- because Simprove is live and active and in a water-based solution, it's continuously growing and reproducing. And the, um, I know that Barry will have talked about Arrive, Survive, Thrive and the um, delivery systems. And basically when Simprove reaches your gut in 100% of its number count and it's live and active, growing, doing its thing, 
it produces lactic acid or the, and when I say it I mean there are four different types of bacteria that are in the solution they will be producing a byproduct which is lactic acid and this has the um, ability to increase the production of short chain fatty acids and basically boost the good bacteria in your gut and short chain fatty acids like acetate, propionate and butyrate will fuel the cells of the colon, improve your gut permeability and on a systemic level, improve levels of inflammation and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then also, whilst this is going on, Simprove by producing this lactic acid byproduct will naturally lower the pH in the colon. And this makes it very difficult for any pathogenic bacteria to survive, which means that Simprove has that dual effect of boosting the good, but also reducing the bad. So it kind Mm -hmm. of like sets the scene of your gut microbiome really nicely mm-hmm. and i think for well, no actually no i'll leave it at that okay okay and and um i assume you use improve yes i use improve on and off um okay. i'm a very complex case because of all my his- history mm-hmm. and um yeah i use it okay. now and then it's okay. not and, and are you like so when you kind of move to maybe different areas is that just because you're more self-aware of what's going on in your gut and how you need to just slightly look at yourself slightly differently is, is that is that why you kind of toggle a little bit what you mean why i come on and off simply? yes yeah uh yeah just because i'm still on the journey of like um balancing my hormones and there's a lot a lot of other things going on for me so okay. um yeah, it's kind of like Simprove is very easy to, or a probiotic, anything you take is really easy to track when nothing else is changing, right? But mm-hmm. like, because there's so many things changing all the time with me, um, it's not quite that straightforward. Yeah, 100%. Okay, no, thanks for sharing that. Um, and Imogen, how would you recommend maybe any listeners try and optimize their gut health for high performance? And it's quite a big, broad question, and everyone's going to be slightly different, but I know there's going to be people listening to that that don't really pay much attention to their gut health and they are wanting to be high performers, whether that's in sport or finance or, you know, just being a better person. Where where do people start? How, how do you, how would you think they should take that first step into it? Um, right. So I think gut health is in my eyes, like two things. One is the gut microbiome and one is your gut functionality. And so when we talk about, improving our gut health we have to consider both of those things and your gut microbiome is influenced by so many different things obviously dietary choices yes but then things like stress and sleep and medications um and i mean anything you name it it will Mm. influence it Mm. um but i'd say like generally you want to be like if are we talking like general tips here yeah just general tips i think like people like knowing that something's not quite right or they want to get better the best out of themselves how would they start to look at this would they would they quite like contact a dietitian like yourself as a a good starting point uh, i assume um yeah 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 yeah, yeah, definitely (laughs) i mean if you're going yeah okay so if we're talking like starting off your journey Mm. you yeah contact a dietitian and they will take you through first line first line treatments but really before you start making any big changes to your diet I would like yeah I would approach a dietitian first just to because the danger is that you try and like sort of self-medicate or self-manage things and then you end up making the problem maybe worse because you're you don't quite have the the full story the full picture um so 
Yeah, I mean, it's so it's it's hard to talk about because it's so different for everybody. So mm, yeah, I can't yep. really say too much about like where individuals start because without knowing the full picture of their history. Of course, but but yeah, that, that was almost kind of the point I was trying to make was was going yes, like you know people might listen to this and be super inspired and go right, I'm going to go try these things, and right. that's why you can maybe run a few little experiments. But but yeah, like 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 signposting them to a professional would be would be probably the biggest advice if they're taking it really seriously and wanting to go to that next level. So no, yeah, th- thanks for unpacking that. Um, listen. Imogen, you've been really kind. I think I, this is this has been a fascinating chat for me. I've really enjoyed going down these rabbit holes. But I think in closing, um, what would be a key message? You know, there's probably many, but a key message you'd like to leave listeners with when it comes to their gut health. Uh, you know, so you know, what, what can they take away from today? Going, ah, okay, right, that's something. Just like a like a little quick win, a little tidbit, anything that you go, yep, that'll that'll be quite nice. Oh, good question. Mm-hmm. There are so many things, like you said, but I think probably. Um, probably I would say gut health is not just physical, like try and think beyond the physical. Um, And yeah, it's not just about what you eat. It's about how you breathe, like how relaxed you are, how you sleep, like Mm. there's so many other things. So yeah, taking it out of just being a physical thing and looking at the mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual, you know, all those aspects. Totally, because um, similar to what I said with with barriers, we don't want to kind of all of a sudden put Simprove on this this pedestal and going, that's my that's my silver bullet, that's my magic wand. I just have to drink that, and then I'm going to be like sorted for the rest of my life. And I think some people, again, I think I might have got that wrong a few years ago with a few different products. So just hearing no, from me, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah no, yeah. exactly. There's no um, there's no one quick fix super pill. Like you have to address it as a holistic approach exactly and uh yeah some some of those topics we discussed today are super fascinating hopefully they've, they've resonated with a few people and um, but listen imogen where um, where can people find you so say someone's going wow i need to i need to speak to her i need to get some advice i need to you know employ you to kind of help with them how can i signpost people to come and find you um you can give them my email they can okay. find me on the simprove website my email is imogen at simprove.com quite straightforward Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I'll be on all the disimproved website, healthcare professional sites. So yeah. Amazing. Listen, Imogen, thank you so much for your time today. Like I said, genuinely thoroughly enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy listening back to this. So many cool rabbit holes and listen, good luck with your journey. It sounds like there's so many cool little kind of avenues going to be opening up for you real soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy.